Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. In episode three, I talk with Adam Bertner, a recent graduate of Wabash College and a commencement speaker for the class of 2017. I spoke with Adam a few weeks before graduation when he was in the midst of comprehensive exams and final papers. Well, thank you, Bill. Um, so I am Adam Bertner, um, born and raised in central Indiana, um, and I'm currently a senior at Wabash College in Indiana as well. Um, and I've kind of jumped around many different industries, mostly um, political work as well as nonprofit. And then most recently, spent a summer out in D.C. and have continued on with a executive search and HR consulting firm. Um, and I've focused my client base on nonprofit, governmental, and biosciences executive search. Um, and with that role, I really got to see a lot of change management on the consulting side, the HR consulting side. Um, but I think where I kind of um, bring some insight and valuable perspective comes in change in communities um, and change in different things I've done um, while at school. And at school, I'm a, a senior fellow for the Wabash Democracy and Public Discourse Program. And what we do is we hold community conversations all around the country on topics of community concern. Um, and those can be wide-ranging issues that we get called as a consultant group to come in and facilitate those conversations. Um, so with, with those different experiences, um, worked in town government and state government mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. Um, and so many, you know, different experiences there, all that have had this same central um, duty to try to bring people together and solve problems in communities. Awesome. Thank you for that that uh, extensive intro. Um, there will be a lot of people listening probably think there's no way you could have done all that um, and, and be in college at the same time. So uh, appreciate you taking all those leadership opportunities. I was wondering if you could start by talking a little bit about the work you mentioned in sort of the HR and the executive search um, work that you're doing and talent acquisition, uh, that's obviously a space that's changing quite a bit. I see it daily as I look for new talent to join not only my company, but to support my clients and customers. You see it in a, in a unique lens. Talk to me a little bit about what's what in, in your time there, what you've seen has changed in the way that companies, people, colleges, large organizations in general go about finding the right talent. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you bring up how that's changing because I've been really, um, you know, just in our business, we're that middleman um, that's hired in to come find that perfect fit person for for a different organization or, or company. And what's been really nice for me is I, I really worry about, you know, kind of um, how there's a move to remove that middleman. So there's whether it's, you know, things that someone can do on LinkedIn or, you know, I, I suspect in 10 or 15 years we'll move to some of the AI-based resume finders, you know, keywords are able to spout out 100 names and you get contact information. They won't need a search business. Um, but I was actually really interested and, and found it quite amusing that um, just in my work with nonprofit and governmental search, it was more about how this person would relate to the different stakeholders they'd be working with, the different employees. And that was a, you know, that can't be something you do on a computer. Um, so I've really enjoyed what I found with that. Everything from, you know, we did a realtor, a CEO of a realtor association in Indianapolis. We've got big brokers, small brokers, different realtors, different community members, um, different political leaders that really had a, a vested interest in who ran this organization um, and bringing them together, holding those focus groups we really needed to be um, kind of that facilitator of those conversations to try to find that best person. 
And so I, you know, I see down the line that a lot of the different recruiting, the mass recruiting, so to speak, um, will move towards a lot more computer-based, and it's changing rapidly in, you know, different apps or different um, job search websites. But I'm confident in the kind of work that I specifically focus on, um, we still need those conversations to happen and somebody to facilitate that. Um, and, and we've seen that pay dividends. We're very hands-on. You know, it's a small team, six or seven people in our office. Um, and, you know, they work with the CEO, a research associate, and the principal, um, and all three work with them all through the process, which I think some of the bigger search firms, you don't get that um, kind of service, but that's been kind of our calling there. And so I, I definitely, you know, see it changing a lot, um, but just for my specific work, it's it's definitely still been people-driven okay. um, and, and really trying to find that best fit and how they'll fit in there with their team. And, and shifting gears a little bit, you also talked about the work that you've done with state and local and communities, um, citizens. You know, we, I, I see a lot of uh, a lot of work specifically around what we call customer centricity. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit around when you and I first met in Crawfordsville. We talked a lot about what I think you may have coined or we may have talked about citizen centricity, which is really putting the citizen at the center of the experience uh, as a voter, as a taxpayer, as someone in the community that is not only experiencing change but expecting change. Tell me a little bit about the work that you've done there in either Indianapolis or the surrounding area. Um, how is that changing from citizen engagement, um, all of the things that are going on in the country now, in the world now, on the political stage, the economic conditions? I love your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I and I guess I kind of view this through the lens. I've had different steps in government. So I started um, in the office of the town manager in Brownsburg. So it's a 25,000-person um, town, then moved to Indianapolis and worked with the mayor's office there, um, and then a little bit in state government. Um, and all have its own challenges, its own opportunities. Um, and I, I preface it by saying, you know, I'd, I'd love to tell your listeners the most important one there was was the town and the city government. Uh-huh. Understanding that you have an unbelievable impact in your community if you go to town council meetings, go to crime watch meetings. Um, that's where the change happens. You know, contrary to popular belief, a lot of representatives and government officials really do care um, what their constituents have to say, and a lot of them have to kind of play this number get numbers game and assume they know. Um, what most of the town feels like because of a, a couple of loud voices that come to the meetings. Um, you know, so with that perspective, it, it's been nice for me to see um, some change that has been ignited in communities just when people sit down, show up, and, and come together to solve some problems. And that's what kind of led me to the work with, with the Democracy Fellows is we're very um, – we're completely nonpartisan. We come into a community – invite different stakeholders, sit them all at the same table, different small tables around the um, around the venue, and we give them three different approaches to how to find their solution, and then we just completely hash it out um, and get people to find some common ground, and then we send that solution on to the proper agencies, onto the governmental agencies that can act, enact that change. Um, and we've seen unbelievable results for that. Um, I think we, you know, see at a national level a lot of gridlock, um, a lot of, you know, people not coming together, not working together for policies, not a lot of give and take. Um, at the local level, I would I would encourage people to not lose optimism. Um, there, are, there are many things that I've seen in Indianapolis or, the, or our state here 
where people just came together, understood that they had the same end goal, whatever that end goal was to better their community, um, and just getting together, figuring out a solution, and, and that's how things get done in government and um, and elsewhere, as we know. But the citizens are the center of that, and and I think if they aren't part of the conversation, if they don't make an effort to be part of that conversation, it's left to the um, the public officials to to assume certain things and kind of get in their own smoke filled room, as people like to say, mm-hmm. um, and make that decision for them. Um, but having them part of that conversation you know, reminds these officials what they're looking for, this constituent centricity, like we talked about, or citizen centricity, Mm -hmm. um, at the center of it all, because that's what they're there for. Um, That's what they're paid there to do. But we have a lot of community members who who don't take advantage of that. You know, they care about these issues, but they don't show up to the meetings or they don't write their legislatures, uh, legislators, um, you know, and it's interesting, different congressional offices, different mayor's offices have a certain bar where, you know, a different pal- policy will be being passed. And if they hit 500 emails, 100 calls, 50 letters, that actually changes their vote. Um, you know, those numbers can fluctuate, but I'll tell you, those numbers don't get hit very often. Um, sometimes with a really major issue on the national scale, they do, but locally, um, that doesn't happen a lot, and I, I, I think that would be a, a major thing that could could change our communities for sure. So, so t- let's talk a little bit about the the sort of discourse, the type of you know community involvement, um, and specifically, I want to zero in on on technology a little bit. And many of these these podcast interviews, inevitably, things things end up we end up talking about technology and how it's either helped us or made our lives more complex or um, too fast-paced. Speaking specifically about the communities, community involvement, discourse, you mentioned, you mentioned as an example, people call in, they write in, they email. How has technology either, in your opinion, helped or hindered or stayed the same? Um, discourse, community involvement, interacting with constituents, politicians, um, any thoughts on whether the things that you've seen, has it, has it made it easier? Has it made it more complex? Is it a lot more data? What's the, what does it feel like to you these days? So I, I definitely would answer this in two parts. One, um, that it's actually been productive and very good. And then another where I think it's hindering some of our public discourse and involvement. Um, and I'll start with the, the positives, um, you know, being able to access, you know, you even said just emailing legislators um, and being able on Twitter to send direct messages or being able to log as a, you know, in a, a congressional office, being able to log how many tweets have been sent about a certain policy, positive, negative. Um, all of that obviously pays dividends and it gives you the ability to understand how more of your constituents feel. Um, I think it also has been really, very positive. Everybody at their fingertips can look up any bill, any policy, um, you know, really dive deep on different things going on. But as we know, you know, is all of that information, has it actually caused more of us to kind of just read headlines, you know, not dive deep? We kind of have too much information we're, we're seeing there and can't sift through it all. Um, I think that is a problem. But if someone really wanted to know, you know, how was this going to affect my life, I think they're able to find that. Now, they do have to sift through some misinformation and, and non-fact-based reporting, um, but I think there's more of a potential to do that now than there would have been um, in recent history. Um, there, there are a bunch of positives with technology and government as well, just um, on different um, initiatives they're doing. I mean, the government's always the last to change on a lot of technology, on a lot of everything. We're, um, 
they usually, you know, you're being run by tax dollars. They have to um, make sure that, you know, they're not spending a lot of money on the newest and shiniest object or different um, database and things like that. But when they do make that change and kind of take a private sector approach to innovation and technology, um, we've seen in a, in a city like Indianapolis, that's paid dividends. Um, so I think a lot of positives there. But you talked a lot about kind of the discourse and bringing people together in these community conversations. I think technology has been a big hindrance there. Um, and, and it's really generational. Um, and, and it's interesting because we'll hold these conversations and we'll get um, a lot of people that, that are older and they're, you know, they come in, have, have notes, a pad and paper. They're ready to talk to people. Um, we, we bring in some college students or we bring in high school students in those communities. Exactly opposite approach, if they even come. Um, and I think we've, we've lost a little bit of this interpersonal connection um, on politics. Um, I think, you know, all of us can, can disagree on a lot, of, a lot of politics, but if we come in with the right mindset of we want to fix whatever this problem we've identified and that we care about is, um, you know, a lot can get done. But instead, I think we get stuck in a polarized environment, um, talk past each other, assume the other person is is not uh, doing it in best in their best interest or best faith. And we've seen that kind of hash out over, and I mean, even in the last four years when I've been part of the program, from my freshman year to now, I even see um, more people that are more hostile, more um, arguments that become personal. And I definitely think this past election um, ignited even more of that. And I'm not sure technology caused that at all, but I know people can kind of sit behind a message board, sit on their Facebook, do comments, and not have to tell that person across the table. So when we get to our events, it's a lot easier or a lot harder for someone to um, kind of make those attacks when that person's right across from them. And, of course, we have a facilitator there um, who really encourages the, the group to stay on the policy and to try to find common ground. Um, and I think if someone feels like they can have their voice heard, through a medium of technology or in Facebook or whatever else, they're less likely to go to these public meetings and, and share their thoughts that way. And I think that's really hindered um, some of the positive, productive public discourse. Um, and I think we've kind of lowered the bar for that. And so I'd say that would that would probably be a downside. Um, I think I'd still fall on the side of thinking technology in terms of government and discourse definitely has the potential to make um, things better, and I think it does, but there, there's definitely trade-offs as we see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great uh, example that you give around, you know, how it, it can help augment, but it will never truly um, replace the experience of, you know, person-to-person -person conversation. I can use us as an example. We met you know, a number of months ago on the college campus there, and we had a great conversation. And we had originally set this up to be a follow-up in person. And I said, this is going to be great. I'm going to fly out to, to Wabash and do this interview in person. And then life gets in the way and things happen and work gets in the way. And so now we're using technology to connect. It's it's not the ideal state. We wanted to kind of do that in person, but we're using it to, to connect. And it is, I think it is a trade-off um, depending, you know, depending on what it is that people can do. But I also look at it and I'm in that camp of, um, it's, it, it helps augment, um, and it helps connect people. So anytime you are connecting people, I do think it is positive, although it is in the kind of work I do, um, it is ideal to do it, to do it in person. So I can totally understand. I appreciate that perspective. One last area I'd love your, I'd love for you to share, um, some insights on. You're also a leader in, um, in Greek life. 
I believe uh, I believe you're in a fraternity, um, Fiji. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit um, about the changes that you're seeing in fraternity life um, as a leader in um, your fraternity, working with people across Greek life. Um, I actually did not do Greek life in uh, my university experience, but I've come to learn a lot about it through summits and leadership conferences where I've spoken to uh, a number of amazing young people in Greek life. So how has that changed um, during your time at college and how do you see it changing in the next, uh, next several years? Yeah, I really appreciate this question, Bill, because I think it gets to the heart of kind of people that don't want the change to happen. Um, you know, I think we have a lot of scenarios where a lot of people um, are staying in some sort of vicious cycle because it's always been that way or that's what we had to go through. That's, you know, that's how it should be. Um, and to enact changes that you yourself feel is the right thing to do, um, but that it seems like the broader community does not want to go through with, but you're in a leadership position to make that happen can be a really tough position to be in. Um, and I, and I really, you know, enjoy talking about this because I think we did it the right way. So, um, just to give a little context, uh, we've, we've changed our pledgeship policies, our, our kind of, um, anti-hazing policies. The school itself, of course, has anti-hazing policies that fraternities seem to get around often. Um, and we did away with a lot of what had been going on for, for decades, quite honestly. Um, and it was a really hard sell to a lot of the upperclassmen, um, a lot of people who had gone through it. And I think when you try to make these, you know, create buy-in for, for an unpopular decision, um, it's really tough at first. And you've got to include those naysayers that, you know, are very, very set in their ways, um, and they need to be part of the solution. So there was a lot of um, kind of negotiating, um, you know, if we're taking these events or these different things we do with the freshmen out, what's another thing we can put in that will actually be productive in their development as a student, as a brother of our fraternity, as a citizen? Um, and once you start talking in that context, it's very hard to argue the other side, and, and they actually start buying into kind of thinking, yeah, well, why were we doing that? I mean, there really wasn't much that they were learning, much that um, no positive outcome other than, you know, us being there and, and them not liking doing it. Uh -huh. um, once we get, get past that initial knee-jerk, we're not going to change the fraternity. It's always been this way. Um, you can really have productive conversations about it. And I think we've led the charge a lot on that on our campus at Wabash, which is, you know, as you know, a very Greek campus, Greek-driven. Um, and I'm very proud of us for doing that. And with that being said, I think what was good for us is we got ahead of some of the changes that I see coming down the line. You'll hear a lot of fraternity um, men, so to speak, talk about, you know, we're worried about the future of fraternities. Well, in my opinion, if we did what the fraternities were there to do and develop these young men, um, give them academic support and a brotherhood that supports them while going through four years of school and beyond, the network beyond, different you know, career opportunities that I've benefited from just by being a Fiji, if we focus on things like that, scholarship, service, um, being, a, being a good citizen, all things that are tenets of our fraternity, I know many of them, that's fraternities will be fine. That's needed in our society. But because we've struggled and, and had a lot of setbacks with different hazing policies, different partying policies, there's a lot, 
you know, and I'd be the first, and this is a whole different subject, but um, sexual assault is an unbelievably important issue, and it needs to be talked about. It needs to be fixed. Um, that that conversation needs to be had, and, and, and really policies need to be implemented to ensure um, that we aren't producing a very conducive environment in these fraternities for, for things like that to happen. Um, because of all of that and kind of the stigma around fraternities, I can see why they're worried, but it's because they were doing the wrong, you know, focusing on the wrong things, in my opinion. Right. Uh, and I was really proud of us for getting ahead of that. So now as we continue to focus on that, we can kind of be one of these fraternities that people can look to and say, you know, this is what it's supposed to be. This is, you know, I would love for my son to go here. I would love for, you know, I wouldn't worry about my daughter going to a party here. I wouldn't, um, you know, all of those different things that we hear, we didn't do it as a reaction to something bad happening. And I think that often happens, you know, a fraternity will get shut down, then the rest of the fraternities on campus said, oh, I guess we should probably change our policies. We kind of led the charge on that before something bad happened. Um, and I think that's what you have to do with these sort of things. And, and I do think, um, you know, fraternities are, um, if they continue down that path, they, they should be eliminated or um, people should worry about them. Um, but I'm, I am confident that if, if that if the changes I talked about are implemented, they'll be okay. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think it's a very valuable perspective, and I really applaud you know the your point of view on this because um, as someone who didn't do Greek life, the closest I think I can relate, and I shared this with you in our discussions previously, was uh, my time in the military. And you brought up a lot of common um, common issues that the military faced as well. And, and you know, whether it be, um, you know, assault or, uh, you know, pressuring people into doing things, um, you know, it's, it, none of it was going to change without the conversations getting started. And I, and I really think the leadership aspect of what you're talking about, which is you had to start the conversations and ask people, you know, um, and approach it as a whole person. Um, you know, you're college students, but, uh, you're also, and you know, you're, you're a whole person as well. There's a lot more to you than just, uh, one aspect. And so approaching it in that manner, um, is, is, uh, is a very mature thing to do. And I, and I think, uh, an environment which can be pretty, um, you know, pretty intense, uh, knowing, knowing all the expectations that are there. And then the other thing I'd share with you is, you know, as we kind of get ready to, to, to finish up here, there's this aspect of, you know, in my, in my work and I think in the world where you can either make change happen or can, or change can happen to you. I'm curious in, in, as, as we kind of close out, like all the, all the changes that you see coming up for you, um, at school and work and life and the world, um, what are some of the changes that, that frankly you're most excited about taking on making that change happen? And then on the flip side of that, what are some of the ones that maybe you're losing sleep over about, Hey, the change that's happening to me, as opposed as a, as opposed to the change that I'm making happen in the world. Yeah, that that's definitely um, you know for me about five weeks away from graduation. That's on the the forefront of my mind for sure. Um, you know, haven't made a final job decision. That that definitely keeps me up at night. I'm I'm very grateful and humbled by some of the opportunities that I've been offered, um, but I'm still kind of juggling that and, and in my mind figuring out what I want to do. So that, that's definitely one that keeps me up, but is also on the other side of that, what excites me most. Um, I've felt like for, for a while now I was ready to, 
um, get out of school and go make change in a community, go transform a community in a positive way. Um, and that's what gets me up in the morning. That is what drives me, um, kind of the fire in the belly, so to speak. And so I'm very excited to kind of, you know, not have to manage part-time jobs in government or, or part-time executive search or different things that I do and really go dive deep and that be a full-time gig, um, get involved in a community. I'm looking forward to moving to Indianapolis um, and, and really integrating myself in that community and starting to to make some things happen. That's definitely on the exciting side for sure. I think on a, on a larger scale, um, and I guess, you know, I think you know this about me. I'm, I'm, uh, I've known for a really long time I wanted to live a life of, of public service and politics. Um, I've kind of viewed my, my um, way I can impact the world through public policy and running for office. And so um, a lot of my decisions have to be um, driven in that, what will put me in the best place where I can have the most um, ability to add value to a community, be in the right situation, um, where I can, can lead on some things. And so, um, you know, when I look at a national um, the, the political di- discourse right now is what keeps me up. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a person that's very bipar- bipartisan in nature, um, very solution-oriented as opposed to an ideologue. Um, and I think that's that's what our country and our communities need. But unfortunately, I think we've um, moved to the other side of that. Now, it's always a pendulum shift. I always you know, warn people that are kind of sounding like me where um, it goes both ways. I think we we go too far in some sense and then, We'll move back, and I think that may happen again. Um, but even you know, for full disclosure, I'm, I've worked for Republicans, work in Republican politics now, um, and, and plan to run as one. And I'm very discouraged by by not what I not only what I see in the party, but the conversations that are being had. Um, it, they aren't coming at it in the right. Um, you know, how do we help the most people possible? What policies come down the line? How many people does this affect? How much does it cost? Instead, we're stuck in um, a soundbite, um, attack the other side culture. And I think it's gotten worse, um, progressively worse, and I don't see that end in sight uh, very soon, and that worries me. But then again, you know, there's two sides of that coin. That's also what excites me the most. I think there there's a need for people that are driven by what I'm driven by to get involved and to run. And, and when they have leadership positions, we start to see that change. I'm very confident um, in the millennials um, and kind of their approach to politics. It seems to be um, less driven by party and more driven by um, helping people, social justice, um, you know, very progressive in the sense of wanting to have the most efficient and, and knowledgeable way of looking at things. I'm very confident in that. Um, but of course, you know, our, our politics are, are really driven by uh, not millennials. They don't they don't vote as much. They don't run. They don't feel like they have part of that process. Um, so, but it does excite me to be to to try to talk to people and get them involved. Um, you know, just kind of seeing my graduating class or, or looking at other young. Know, people in Indianapolis and when a certain policy that they just get all up in arms about um, really excites me. And I said, I wish you would get like this about, you know, road funding and stuff that nobody wants to talk about that, that bores them to death. But um, I am confident that we'll have that pendulum shift. I am just definitely worried in our current state of politics, um, what that says about us and, and where we're stuck. And, and it's very disappointing to me, but but it's also what keeps me driven in the career path and, and passions that I have to try to fix that. 
Well, it certainly is an opportunity, and um, I, I personally will uh, will say thank you and, and applaud you for that perspective. It's very, it's a fresh perspective. It's a healthy perspective. And um, where's where's so so as someone who's about to graduate in five weeks and looking for uh, looking for a job, and um, for those that are listen that will eventually listen to this podcast, where can they find a little bit about you? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Where's the best place for people to? to look for you and who knows, maybe offer you a job. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that, Bill. Make sure this part's not the, the, the one that gets cut. Uh, no, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Adam Burtner or, uh, Twitter, Adam underscore Burtner at Adam underscore Burtner. Um, and I think just, you know, typing me into Google, you can find the about me page on, on Huntbridge and other, um, opportunities that I've had on different boards. There's some about me pages. So with some contact information, um, and then Adam Burtner 33 at gmail.com. If they want to send some thoughts, I'd love to hear, um, other people's perspectives on this because, um, you know, all the things that we talked about take a community, mm-hmm. um, we need people to get together and drive this change. Like we've talked about many times. So well, I appreciate your time, Adam. Thank you very much for the, for the, uh, for the thoughts continuing the conversation on change uh best of luck to you at graduation it's going to be a great time um and we look forward to staying in touch with you i personally look forward to staying in touch with you probably see you at some point uh, in the next couple months uh to celebrate a lot um and hopefully come back maybe in the future and uh we'll continue the conversation about change maybe when you're running for office or leading an organization through it so thank you again for your time really appreciate it absolutely thank you so much bill